Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Tonight, what we want to try and do, we want to, in our first session, just cover one psalm. And then in session two, we're going to try and cover three psalms, uh, a trilogy if we can. Okay, so I'd like you to turn your Bibles to uh, uh, Psalm 19. That's the one we're going to look at first of all. How many felt you really got something out of uh, last week? Not too boring the first session, I hope. And uh, Psalm 1, you should all be blessed. All right, Psalm 19, and I'm going to read from uh, New King James here. Uh, but just uh, you've got your notes there, so let's just go to the notes for a moment. And uh, so Psalm 19 and the writer, remember there's only one author. Who's the author? Yeah, God by the Holy Spirit, uh, but there are many writers. So this uh, psalm is written by David, he's the writer. And again, this was sent to the chief musician. And anytime you see that, you always think of the tabernacle of David, uh, where the musicians were and uh, so forth. And then uh, the division and, uh, and analysis of the psalm I've done. So under three, uh, or under letter A, psalm outline, I've broken this psalm up as, I, as I've studied the psalm over the years and read through it. It uh, breaks itself up into verses 1 through to 6. We're going to comment on each of these a moment. Uh, and it has to do with creation. And then the second section of the psalm is verses uh, 7 to 11. has to do with the, uh, the law of the Lord. And then uh, verses 12 to, thir- uh, 12 to 14 has to do with redemption. So simple outline of the psalm, creation, verses 1 to 6, revelation, verses 7 to 11, and then redemption, verses 12 to 14. Uh, the psalm seems uh, pretty much to lend itself to that. All right, now, uh, just before we read, uh, let me just uh, verbalize a little bit out of, out of your notes here. So under creation... You'll notice the, uh, as you read the psalm and break it up this way, we have the witness of God or the works of God in creation. So the emphasis in verses 1 through to 6 is on creation. And this is particularly to the Gentile world, as we'll see, that uh, everybody is without excuse to the Gentile world. And it's interesting that, uh, number 3, the name of God, Al, uh, E-L, uh, for uh, God, the Godhead, we, we have in the beginning God, Elohim or Elohim, uh, but this is simply Al, and whenever you see El, it's always referring to the Creator or the Almighty. And so, number four here, uh, creation speaks of the words of nature. God is speaking through creation, so everybody's w- without excuses, we'll see. Uh, then in the second section, we go to the witness, the words of inspired revelation. And this was particularly to the Israel world, as we see, because they were the chosen nation and the only nation that was used to write inspired scripture. And then it moves from creation to redemption. Number three, because the name of God that you see in, the, in this section is used uh, about six times. It's Jehovah or the Lord referring to redemption. So the first one is to creation. This is referring to redemption. And in number four, we have the words of Scripture. 
And then when we go to the third section, spend a few moments on that, we have the witness. And this has to do with the experience of the redeemed to the church or to all believers, old covenant or new covenant. And the name of God is used once, the Lord, our Redeemer. And it has to do with the words of prayer, David's prayer. So that's a, sort of a simple outline of the psalm itself. All right, so let's go to letter B now and creation. And uh, I want to read the verses for, uh, first of all, and then uh, maybe, Burr, you could, uh, you could help me, uh, Fred. Uh, yeah, could, you could help me in a moment. Uh, I'll just read this first, then come up. Help an old man. Okay, so I'm reading from New King James, and it says here, uh, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge, or shows knowledge. Uh, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, in what? The heavens. In them he has set a tabernacle. Uh, I think NIV, NIV says tent, uh, but same thing. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is, a, is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Then you'll see a little break here. So verses 1 through to 6 has to do with creation. So what I want to do here as we uh, start our thing, I want to put a diagram that we'll be using sort of uh, for, um, for bo uh, both sessions actually, but we'll start off with this one. So if you could do that for me and uh, put this up here, see how we go. Okay, Trimikasi. <laughs> Pujinama Tuhan. Those who know a little bit of Indonesian, that's all I know. I mean, praise the Lord. All right, now, uh, we're only going to have to spend a few moments on each of these sections here. Uh, as I often say, the more I know, the less I know. Okay, now, let's go to verse 1 a little bit and comment on verses 1 through to 6 a little bit. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, notice the use of the word heaven is in the plural. The heavens declare the glory of God. And here we see the works of God in creation. So when you go back to, and we won't turn to it, we won't have time for that, uh, uh, turning back to the Scriptures. But when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to 8 altogether, we're simply told in the beginning God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. So the heavens declared the glory of God. And, uh, and so uh, what we're dealing with in verse 1 and 2 where, where it says, the heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. In day one, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. And then day two, he set the firmament or the visible realm of heaven above us. So that's what's covered in verse 1. Heavens, plural, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So day uh, 1 and 2 of creation. Now, I want to link it up with verse, um, uh, verse 4, the latter part, uh, connecting our thought here. It says, so the heavens declare the glory of God. In them, the heavens, he has set a tabernacle. And as I said, NIV says 10. Uh, it varies in translations, but I like the word tabernacle. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun. 
And so think of that. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and in them, the heavens, he set a tabernacle for the sun. Now, uh, a little bit of theology here, really important to get hold of. You'll find that in the Bible that uh, uh, there is a heavenly tabernacle, and I like to put it this way, because uh, I'm talking to a very intelligent bunch of people again. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Now, I want you to think of this, that when, when Moses was shown the tabernacle of Moses, what we call on earth, it was actually a shadow on earth of the heavenly tabernacle. And when David saw the temple of Solomon, as we refer to it, uh, it was actually a shadow of the heavenly temple. There's a heavenly tabernacle, heavenly temple. So what we find, that there were three places, the outer court uh, in the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon, and then the holy place, and then the, holy, uh, the most holy place. Now, just think of this. Number one, the first heaven uh, from us here is the atmospheric heavens. So there are many scriptures that we could refer to, but we just don't have that type of time. The atmospheric heaven. And uh, when Solomon uh, prayed, you know, he prayed, if the heaven uh, close up that there's no rain, then when your people pray, then God will give rain from heaven. So we think of the atmospheric heavens, the uh, first heaven to us, the atmospheric heaven. And then number two, we have the uh, planetary heavens, and this has to do with the planets, planetary. How do you spell this thing? Anyway, uh, the planetary heaven, uh, where the planets are, the, uh, the stars, and so forth. But then number three, the Bible refers to the third heaven. Uh, and and in Sol- when Solomon dedicated the temple, he sort of prayed this pray- uh, prayer. He said, Lord, uh, this house, he said, heaven... Listen to the language now. And the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, let alone the house that I've built. So how can God be locked in a little box? He can't really. And so Solomon recognizes that the heaven and the heaven of heavens uh, cannot contain thee. And when Paul talks in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I was caught up to the, anybody remember? The third heaven. So the third heaven. So the third heaven or the heaven of heavens. I'll just uh, abbreviate this and leave you to do the rest. The heaven of heavens. Now, that's from our point of view. So atmospheric heavens would be like the outer court. Uh, what we do in the second session will balance this out a little bit too. Then the, second, the planetary heavens has to do with the holy place uh, where the lights of heaven are. And the third heaven, the heaven of heavens, where Paul was caught up to, is the most holy place. So the heavenly tabernacle, so uh, what he's saying here, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, in our picture that we're using here, this was the only place where the Shekinah glory of God was. So they would go from the outer court into the holy place, into the most holy place, and here was the Shekinah glory of God. So the psalmist is saying, and, and David has more insight than you know, a lot of people in the Bible, the heavens declare the glory of God, and in them he set a tabernacle for the sun. And so if you want to put some scriptures here, uh, just put them down and I'll quote them because uh, I've just got to condense here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. 
Hebrews 4 and verse 14. And this is the language, and, and for those who are a little bit more studious, when you study the book of Hebrews or the book of Revelation, it's really important to note the use of the word heaven or heavens in a singular and plural. And so Hebrews 4 verse 14, it says, when Jesus went into heaven, he passed through the heavens, plural. So that means when he ascended bodily after his death, burial, and resurrection, now his ascension, and they see him go into heaven, uh, he, he passed through the heavens. So he goes through the atmospheric heavens, through the planetary heavens, and now where is Jesus tonight? It's not just a sermon, it's truth. He's in the heaven of heavens, amen. sitting at the right hand of the Father. Everybody said amen? amen. So he needed a spacesuit for that. He's already got his spacesuit, his glorified body, which we're going to have when we see Jesus, uh, you know, when we see the uptaker, not the undertaker. Uh, and the last thing to be redeemed is our mortal body. last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we're going to need a glorified body for interplanetary travel. You don't think we're going to be sitting... I don't, I don't know what your concept of heaven is, but you don't think we're going to be sitting on a cloud playing a one-string guitar for all eternity. <laughs> That's dull. I'm enjoying life here, you know, a little bit, but it'll be perfect up there. So, so put those thoughts together. The heavens declare the glory of God. Firmament shows his handiwork. And then in them, the heavens, plural, he set a tabernacle for the sun. All right, so Hebrews 4.14. And then put down a couple of scriptures. We won't, we won't turn to it. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. John is given a vision and he sees Michael the archangel and his angels fighting, warring against the devil and his angels. So there is war in heaven, plural, singular, singular, war in heaven. Then when Michael and his angels overcomes the devil and his angels uh, and cast them down to earth, it says, woe to uh, rejoice ye heavens, plural, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil's come down and he's got a short time, which as I understand is three and a half years. So, uh, and then I'll have you turn to one scripture, uh, Revelation chapter 15. Everybody thinking along with me? Yes. Someone did tell me, Kevin, we like it class, but we have to think. I said, that's why it's the advanced class. Okay, uh, Revelation chapter 15, I want you to note the language here, Revelation 15, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 5, Revelation 15, verse 5, and it says here, after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple. So there's a heavenly temple, there's a heavenly tabernacle. So that's what's important to realize, that the ta uh, tabernacle of Moses was just a shadow on earth of the three heavens, and the temple of Solomon was just a shadow of the, the real tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle. And Jesus is gone within the veil, and he's at the right hand of the Father in the heaven of heavens, making intercession for the church. That's worth a little baby hallelujah. All right, now, pick up this thought here, and uh, some of it I, I heard a brother speak on this some years ago. It's a bit uh, too much for my little head here. But in, 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 uh, in verse uh, 4 again, it says, In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, S-U-N. And so what does the sun do? It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber 
and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. The rising of the sun, it's from one end of heaven, it rises in the east, isn't it? That's right. And sets in the west, okay? And a circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from it. Now, uh, the experts on this, I don't know how many have seen uh, uh, E.W. Bullinger's book on the gospel and the stars. Okay, uh, you, am I that old? Yes, just say yes. Here, here's the thing. In the tabernacle of Moses, there were 48 boards and uh, 412 is a 48. And what he does, in the tabernacle in the heaven, the gospel of the stars, he shows that there are 12 signs of the zodiac. Don't, don't get frightened on this. Uh, the gospel was in the stars before it was ever written. Uh, 12 signs of the zodiac. But when the sun does its circuit, it goes through uh, these 12 signs of the zodiac and each zodiacal sign, <laughs> a bit heavy for me even, uh, has three constellations. That's 48. So you think 48 boards here, shadow on earth, and the glory of God here, but in the heavens he set a tabernacle for the sun. And the sun in its circuit, circuit go, not circus, circuit goes through these 12 signs of the zodiac, but it passes through the three constellations of each 48. It does that in its circuit. All right, now, We'll have to leave that because it's a bit too much for me. I was reading. I said, wow, this is heavy duty. Uh, But this is the heavenly tabernacle we're uh, talking about. Now, notice in verse 2, day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. So when God created the sun, moon and the stars on the fourth day of creation, that's what he's alluding back to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created the firmament, let there be a firmament, and then he, on the fourth day of creation, he set the sun, moon, and stars to govern our seasons, our times, and so forth. And so he says, day unto day, utter speech. So everybody, there's no, uh, uh, let's read the next part, there is no speech nor language, no nation where their voice is not heard. So what happened in the Old Testament and even today Uh, When people saw the sun, instead of worshipping the creator, they worshipped the creation. And they became sun worshippers or moon worshippers or worshipping of the stars. And how many people today are governed by the signs of the uh, zodiac and they look up their star? uh, You know, Satan's a fallen star, so I don't bother with the stars. I have one, the bright and morning star, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so... Day under day is uttering speeches, and night under night, when you look at the moon and the, and the stars, it's telling something, it's speaking message, there's no speech nor language where their voice, their line has gone throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the, of the world. And so it's a message. Then I'd like you to turn over to Romans chapter 1 on this one, Romans chapter 1. And Paul alludes to this, in fact, uh, in, in some of his writings he quotes a bit from this psalm. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Everybody thinking along with me? Thank you. Okay, uh, let's go to verse um, uh, chapter 1 and verse 18. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. Now, listen carefully. For since the creation of the world, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and sun, moon, stars and so forth, chapter 1. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes 
are clearly seen. Now, has anybody clearly seen the invisible attributes of God? Okay, let's, uh, let's continue. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, creation reveals a creator. So I don't believe in evil solution, evolution, devolution. Don't believe in it. The sun is speaking every day, and everybody in the world can see that. If you don't know the Redeemer, you can know a creator, because creation reveals a creator. Uh, and I, I mean, I think evolution or devolution, evil solution is one of the most ridiculous things. How can you have a law without a lawgiver? How can you have intelligent design without a designer? I mean, when I, when I hear people say, oh, well, billions of years ago, there was a big bang. I said, well, where did the energy come from the big bang? You know? And I said, uh, uh, this is the illustration I used to say, all right, so well, billions of years ago, this watch was scattered throughout the universe. Don't ask me where the universe come from. And uh, all of a sudden, there was a big bang. And this watch came together and began ticking. How many would be ticked off? <laughs> right, I would be. It's just stupid. Say so the big bang. So how can you have a law without lawgiver, design without intelligent design? I mean, they say in creation that every snowflake is different, yet it's perfect design. Every blade of grass is different, yet it's perfect design. How can you have a watch without a watchmaker? Uh, but you see, as I said before, they worship creation and miss the creator. And notice what God says here, because often, and I don't know all the answers of this, I'm not God. It says... Since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so creation reveals the Creator, even His eternal power and Godhead, and notice the next part, so that they are without excuse. Everybody upon the planet Earth, even if they haven't heard the gospel, they are without excuse, because creation reveals the Creator. That's what I'm saying. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals, creeping things. And so God gave them up. That's a sad story. So in the heavens, he set a tabernacle for the sun. Now the sun in its circuit, as I said, goes through this. And here in the most holy place was the very Shekinah glory of God. So no, no nation is exempt. Uh, why don't you put down Romans 10 and 18? Because Paul quotes a verse from this Psalm 19. If you look in your cross reference, Romans 10, 18, he says, Their sound, whose sound? The voice and the message of the sun, moon, and stars, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So every nation is without excuse. Creation reveals a creator. Everybody said amen. amen. And, uh, and as I said, go back to our psalm now. It has to do with Al, E-Al, which is the name uh, of God as the creator. In the beginning, Elohim and Al, the creator God. So uh, Psalm 19, so uh, the message has gone out and uh, the son is like a bridegroom and pointing to Christ who's the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, strong man, title is also used of Christ. He is the S-O-N, 
But remember when he's on earth, the face of the S-O-N shone like the S-U-N. That was sun glory. It's rising from one end of heaven and circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hid from, from it. So that's enough on that. Okay, let's keep going. You're doing okay? All right, let's go to the second section. So the first one, all the Gentile world, uh, Israel, anybody, uh, they've got the language of creation, the words God speaking through creation. If there's a sun and creation, moon, stars, there must be a creator, but they worship the creation and miss the creator. All right, now, section two of the psalm is uh, verses uh, seven through to 11. And you'll notice that this all has to do with the Word of God. So you've got some fill-in in a moment here. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wiser simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweet also than the honey and the honeycomb. Is anybody singing that scripture with me? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Anybody know it? Okay, anyway, uh, it would be wonderful to sing these scriptures just now and then. It gets the word into you. Okay, now for your fill-in, you've got the fill-in in the first part. And so we're looking now, designations of God's word, the sacred scriptures. And there are six designations here, what it is called. And uh, if I've already said this, I'll say it again. There are three particular word psalms. Psalm 1 is a good way to remember them. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. So just think of Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. And in Psalm 119, you have the same words that are repeated. Law, testimony. You've got them there, the fill in there. I want to make it work. So the law, number two, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the fear of the Lord, the judgments. And uh, that's a whole study in itself. Uh, but the different designations for God's Word, the sacred scriptures. Okay, what it is, and you have a bit of fill in there. The law of the Lord is... Uh, now, remember what I said last week, you know, uh, he meditates in the law day and night. And because there's such controversy today about, oh, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, uh, and I just don't belong to law. Anybody who tries to put me under the law, that's bondage. Hey, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law is spiritual, Paul says. The problem is not with the law, the problem is with me. So the law of the Lord is perfect. And if you want to go to what it does uh, uh, in the third column, it converts the soul. Uh, uh, Charles Finney, though he, I see he's under attack at the moment, Charles Finney says, uh, and listen carefully to this because I think there's a lot of truth, and a lot of people are not ready for the gospel until we use the law to bring them to Christ. And he said, many times we present the gospel, the good news, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, and you can just accept and be happy ever. He said, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And he says, and, and that's why 
Apparently, from history, he had more lasting converts than anybody in church history because he used the law as a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. And that a lot are not ready for the gospel till we use the law. So the law of the Lord is perfect. So we don't knock the law and say, oh, I hate the law, I'm not under law. We need to understand what Paul's talking about when he says, I'm not under law. <clears throat> He's talking about ceremonial law. Okay. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the more you read the Word of God, and I didn't, I didn't know this about my own son, Mark. How many of you like my son? Okay, when he was young, apparently he used to read the Proverbs over and over again. And sometimes I used to look at him and think, where did he get all that wisdom from? But one day he slipped it out here and he said, when I was younger, I used to read the book of Proverbs every year. Well, no wonder he's so wise. (laughs) Dumb, dumb. Okay, the testimony of the Lord is sure. And what does it do? Make wise the simple. So education and just to encourage you, sometimes people say to me in different nations, you know, what college did you go to, Kevin? I've never been to Bible college in my life. I brainwash myself with the word. I've taught in Bible colleges, but I brainwash myself with this. So if you think I'm smart, not always, but it's from here. The law, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. Number three, the statutes of the Lord are right. And uh, uh, because I'm talking to a very intelligent bunch of people, you can think of the laws of the land or the statutes of the land, what becomes a statute. We haven't got time to milk that too much. But the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart you fill in. So rejoices your heart. Hallelujah. And then uh, where are we up to? Yes, uh, the commandments of the Lord are pure. And what do they do? Enlighten the eyes. Say, wow, I've never seen that. And I I hope that as we go through some of the Psalms in our time together, say, wow, I've never seen that so much in the Psalms. Enlightening, illuminating the eyes. And then number nine, the fear of the Lord is clean. I, I get a little bit pipped, to tell the truth, when I hear preachers say, now, when you see the word fear, you don't need to be frightened of God. We do. I was saved through fear, a fear of going to hell. But today we don't preach on hell. It's not politically or biblically correct. Right. Oh, we don't want to put fear in people. It just simply means reverence. Uh, So when we stand before the Lord and say, hey, I'm not frightened of you, God. I reverence you. I respect you, but I'm not. Hey, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we just could do with a little bit more fear of God in the place. A lot of Australians, oh, God's love. He doesn't, I've got nothing to be frightened of. Hey, when Sapphira and Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, they, they dropped dead. And you know what it says? Great fear fell on the church. Oh, you mustn't frighten people. Hey, it does mean reverence, but that's only fear. It literally means phobia. I fear God. And uh, fear of the Lord keep you from sin. Okay, the fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever. That's another characteristic of the nature of God, attribute of the nature of God. And then the last one here, number six, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. And what do, what do the judgments of the Lord do? And I've just illustrated, you know, Sapphira and Ananias, when they lied to the Holy Spirit, they dropped dead. I mean, in the early church, they say, let's get back to the early church. And I often say to people, which chapter? Oh, not chapter 5. People drop dead there. You'll never get people to join the church if you keep doing that. Okay. You're laughing with me, not at me. Okay. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, 
And somewhere I had on there uh, that by them is your servant warned. Where's that? I didn't put that in, did I? I don't think I did anyway. Okay, oh, yeah, okay, verse 11. Thank you. I didn't add to the scripture. And, and, and after he says these six things about the word, the designations, what it is, what it does, more to be desired are they than gold. Yeah, the much fine gold. If ever, I often say, if ever I'm stuck in prison, please visit me, but leave me a Bible. At least I'd have the word. Much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. And so down the bottom, what it's like, gold, the finest gold, honey, and what it gives in keeping of them, there is great reward. All right, hallelujah, we're doing fine. Okay, now, as we move into the third section here, I really, I really want to challenge you, as I've been studying this week and trying to look up different translations and that, uh, it has to do with redemption. So is everybody right on verses 1 to 6 having to do with creation? Uh, amen. And then verses 7 to 11, the revelation, uh, the scriptures that were given to the chosen nation. We owe the scriptures to the chosen nation. Now, the last part is redemption. This is the experience of the redeemed, and it's written to church or to the believers, the Old Testament, New Testament. Name of God is the Lord, the Redeemer, and the words of prayer. Let me read it to you, and uh, depending on your translation, you'll find different words, and I've gone through different translations I've had and, and looked up Strong's Concordance to help me, but I have really been challenged on this because I'm not perfect. Everybody said amen? Not too loud. Okay. No, I'm not perfect. Okay. Now, listen to verse 12, and there's four words before we take a break here, four words I want you to pick up. And the question is, first of all, who can understand his errors? Okay, if you mark your Bible, underline the word error. I'll come back to this in a moment. Then the second is cleanse me from secret faults. Underline secret faults. Now, I, I've been praying this. I've been checking my own heart out. And then verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So underline presumptuous sins. I want to talk about that in a moment. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. And the fourth one I want you to note, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So underline great transgression. So there's four words there that hit me, and this is David's prayer. Errors, secret faults, presumptuous sins, and the great transgression. Old King James says, great transgression here. Okay, now, they're all, uh, let me, am I going too fast? Okay, they're all sort of interrelated words, but there is some slight difference. And, and for all of us, and I've been praying this prayer as I've been studying this this week and getting ready for tonight. So Lord, that's my, my prayer. Okay, now, let me start off here, and this is all on this, and I'll uh, take a word at a time here. They are sort of interrelated words, you've got to remember that, errors, secret faults, presumptuous sins, the great transgression... But there is some difference here. So they're interrelated, but they're different. Now, what we've all got to realize, and I, I, I disagree with some of the theologians today, uh, when we come to Christ, we are not perfected. Is that right? How many perfect here tonight? And uh, the big problem with us is that the law of sin is not eradicated from us. I wish it was. I wish it was. I, w I wish when we came to the Lord, 
the law of sin would be eradicated. But it's not. We still have fallen sinful nature, but we also are partakers of the divine nature. Now, I have some Christians who say, I only have one nature. I say, which one? I say, well, the divine nature. Well, do you sin? Oh, well, now and then. So, well, how can the divine nature sin? And they said to me, because of its immaturity, don't believe it. It's the fallen nature. So there's a conflict between the divine nature and the fallen nature in us. We have the law of the spirit of life in us, and we have the law of sin in us. And you see, those are a little bit more studious. This is what Paul's battle is in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And, and you see, when I teach on this, it's like uh, Romans 7, if you want to make a note of it. Uh, Romans 7 to me is like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll tell you why in a moment. And then Romans 8 is like the tree of the knowledge, uh, the tree of eternal life. So Romans 7, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Romans 8, the tree of eternal life. Now, why do I say it? Because you see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was... You, are, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but you're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's not just the tree of the knowledge of evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's mixture. There's both. And every sinner, every person on the face of the earth has within them that tree. Mixture, good and evil. Sometimes they can be good and very good, and sometimes they can be bad. And we see that in some of the catastrophes that we've experienced in Australia and New Zealand recently. What is it? So when Paul takes up that tree, he says, I find then a law. Uh, You can change that word to tree. I find then a tree. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And the good I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I do. And if I find that the good I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I do. I find then there's a tree, uh, a law within me. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then he gets into Romans 8. The law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law and sin and death. That's not true physically. If we were free from the law of sin, we would be free from the law of sin and death. We'd never die. We're not there yet. So I just want to draw that to attention, not to load you with guilt or anything like that, because I'm one with you. I'm a human being. I realize the law of sin is not yet eradicated when we come to Christ. Everybody said amen. So this is David's prayer. And so he prays, who can understand, or NIV says, who can discern his errors? Now the word error, uh, I'd like you to put down this thought and, uh, and give it some thought yourself. It has to do with mistakes or simply to miss the mark. So different translations say, who can understand his errors, his lapses, uh, his mistakes, And it really has to deal with sins of ignorance. That'll be more meaningful in a moment, sins of ignorance. Now, how many would agree with me tonight that two and two make five? How many would say that's an error? It is, it's a mistake. Two and two make four. That's it, that's infallible. Okay, so we need to understand errors, a moral mistake, or simply to miss the mark. Then, number two, he goes on to, and I've given you a couple of scriptures there, Uh, cleanse me from secret faults. Has anybody got any secret faults here, apart from me? (laughs) Secret faults. Uh, And uh, NIV says, unconscious faults. So none of us are faultless. Now, uh, Jude and Revelation talks about 
that the Lord wants to present us faultless before the throne, but we're not there yet. But these are things we can pray. Cleanse me from secret faults, faults that only Kevin Connor knows. If I'm really honest, that I'm not perfect. I'm being very honest with you. I have faults in my life, and I say, Lord, help me. I've got some secret faults. People don't know. They see me on the platform preaching and teaching away there, but do they know that? What are my secret faults? Okay, how many think that's a good prayer to pray? pray? <laughs> okay, secret faults. It's, what, it's only what God sees. Our imperfection of character and it's things that we conceal and so forth. Okay, so secret faults, hidden faults that we have. And then I want, want you to look at this number three. This is, this is a frightening one to me. He says, um, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, on this one, I'd like you to, uh, uh, I'd like you to turn back to Numbers, Numbers chapter 15, Numbers chapter 15, and I'd like, you, like to encourage you to read this whole chapter uh, somewhere between now and the coming of Jesus. But in this chapter, he deals with two types of sins, and this has helped me over the years because lots of times we are ignorant and, and, and let me encourage you, you know, I'm not wanting to lay a guilt trip on you. I want to challenge you as I challenge my own heart. Uh, before I go to sleep every night and in the morning, I, I do my, what I call my daily ministrations. I ask the Lord to cleanse me in his blood, wash me in the washing water by the word, grant me a daily supply of the oil of the Holy Spirit as I bring the daily incense. It's what I call my daily ministrations. And as I look back over the day when Reen reads to me and then before I go to sleep, I say, Lord, just cleanse me in your blood. Anything I may have grieved you today, anything wash me in the washing water, the word, uh, supply me with the oil of the Spirit as I bring the daily. That's a daily habit with me. I do it morning and night and it's just helped me. I want to please you today, Lord. I can only take one day at a time. Okay, now in this chapter... It basically deals with two groupings of sins. You have to listen carefully now. Uh, it deals, number one, with the sins of ignorance. And uh, we'll go to verse uh, 22. I'm going back to Old King James, so uh, whatever translation you're into. So in verse 22 it says, And if you have erred, erred, what do we say here? Erred in America, erred, okay. And not observed all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, so forth and so forth, then, verse 24, then it shall be, if ought be committed by ignorance without the knowledge of the congregation, verse 25, and the priest shall make an atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel and shall be forgiven them for his ignorance. And then the last part of the verse, for their ignorance. And then verse 26, it shall be forgiven all the congregation. Uh, last part, seeing all the people were in ignorance. Uh, verse 27, if any soul sin through ignorance... So I want you to notice verse 22 through to 25, we all sin in ignorance. And you know Paul's favorite expression, particularly the Corinthian church, he said, brethren, I write unto you that you be not ignorant. And the only thing can enlighten our ignorance is the word of God. Now, sometimes when I've seen people come to the Lord, just new Christians, they still carry on some dirty old baggage from their sinful life. And I just don't rush up to them and say, well, you shouldn't do this. Hey, it may be just a sin of ignorance. And then people have told me, say, Kevin, five years ago, I, I, I accepted Christ, but I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. It was, it, it, I was ignorant. 
And then when you preach or when somebody preached on the Word of God, suddenly my ignorance was enlightened. So the Word of God enlightens our ignorance. And Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I don't want you to be ignorant of, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Don't be ignorant of this. And how many can say amen? It's the Word that enlightens our ignorance. I think by God's grace. That wasn't very good amen there. Okay. I think by God's grace now, uh, when I was younger Christian, I was ignorant of some things and did things. Uh, but now the Lord's enlightened my ignorance, the word, so forth. Okay, now, there is atonement for sins of ignorance. Verse 28, and the priest shall make an atonement for the soul uh, that sins ignorantly when he sins through ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him shall be forgiven him. So that's it. But now, go to verse... Uh, 30, but the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he's native born or a stranger, that one, uh, that, one, that one brings reproach on the Lord. He shall be cut off from his people. He's despised the word of the Lord. I'd like you to read through that and you'll find in the chapter there were sins of ignorance, sins of presumption. Now, for sins of presumption, there was no sacrifice, no atonement. Now, let's just apply. When I think of many Australians... You know what an average Australian is guilty of? Presumption. And you know how they say it? Oh, God's love. God's kind. He's too kind to send anybody to hell. Anyway, I don't believe in hell. That is presuming on the grace of God. You hear what I'm saying? Sin of presumption. So that's a whole study in itself. Presumption, presumption. And it's dealt with. I put some scriptures there. Uh, for you, uh, I think I have Numbers 15, yes, and go to the book of Hebrews, sins of ignorance, sins of presumption, and there's no, trend, no atonement for that, sins of presumption, presuming on the grace of God. Wow, I'd like to spend more time on that. I have to quit it. Okay, let's go for the last couple of moments here. Uh, then he ends up with the great transgression. If you go back to Psalm 19, the great transgression... And um, as I said, all these are interrelated, but there is a uh, distinction here. So Psalm 19, and he ends up saying, uh, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Here, I wish I could do a bit more on that, I can't. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of great transgression. Briefly, if you look at the scriptures I've given you there, we don't have time now. Uh, it has to do with the great transgression, has to do with the unpardonable sin. If you read those scriptures in Hebrews, it says now, uh, if anybody uh, trample underfoot the blood of the covenant or do despite to the spirit of grace, there is no more sacrifice for sin but a fearful looking for of judgment. Wow. And then in 1 John, I've given you the scriptures on this one. Uh, he says, there is a sin unto death. I do not say he'll pray for that. But if a brother sins, he can be forgiven. But there is a sin unto death. What is the sin unto death? The unpardonable sin. And when people continually resist the Holy Spirit's conviction, that's why blasphemy against the Father can be forgiven, against the Son can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit can never be forgiven because there's no fourth person of the Godhead to come. When people resist the Spirit, that's it because he's the only saving agent in the Godhead. Everybody hearing me? And I, I don't believe, you know, we're here tonight. But it means the great transgression is revolt, rebellion, has to do with apostasy. Uh, in Strong's Concordance, 
to break away from just authority uh, and the unpardonable sin and transgression. You think trans. When I went to school, I learned a little bit of Latin and somebody told me Latin is a language dead as dead can be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing me. Uh, trans across, gradio to pass. So it's to trespassers, do not trespass. Uh, trespassers prosecute, so we go beyond the great transgression. I don't want to do that. I know you don't. Okay, concluding prayer. Let the words of my mouth, words of my mouth outwardly, and the meditation of my heart inwardly be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Be sure to pick up a copy of Kevin Connor's verse-by-verse exposition on the book of Psalms, available in Australia from word.com.au and internationally from Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop.